Welcome back to ATBS, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. My good friend Jameis joins me in the pod ship today, and together we take a closer look at 5-MeO-DMT, sometimes referred to as the toad, sometimes just five. Open-minded? Yeah. Jameis is that and much more. Enjoy. Hey, you guys, it's Sharpie. I'm the guest from episode number 20. I like to travel to the edge of the known universe and peer over the edge to see what's out there. It's sort of like digging below the surface, tapping into the electromagnetic network of fungi and tree roots to try and figure out what they're talking about. Spread the word to anyone who you think may be interested in expanding their horizon and growing their universe. Thanks, guys. Tune in soon. Jameis, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. I'm so glad you've uh, opted and, and offered to join and join me in the pod ship. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff. It's great to be here. Thank you. Wow. Do we have a, a great subject to cover today? And I'm so grateful to you that you're willing, able, and well-educated to be able to cover this subject of, let's see, some people know this is the toad. Some people know it as 5-MeO-DMT. You can take it away from there because in our earlier conversation, you said you don't generally use those titles or descriptions at this stage of the game. Right. Well, I'm going to give you a five-minute arc of the world of psychedelics. So. Back in 1970, when I was at Berkeley as a student, we were all very familiar with LSD and lots of other things. School was this vague, shimmering set of buildings in the distance, and our house and our activities seemed to be the main focus. One day, somebody came in who had been in the Peace Corps in Africa, and he had these two capsules and said that he hadn't taken this particular drug, but that the natives in Gabon take it and they can go into the jungle and read animals' minds. And it was a rite of passage and it was sacred to them. And did anyone want to try it? And I said, sure, I'll try anything. So I took these two capsules and 48 hours later, when my feet touched back, I was a completely changed person. And I, I was only 20 years old and I wasn't a troubled person, but this particular medicine's called Ibogaine, still very rare still the most powerful, still called the grandfather. And it allowed me to see more deeply into the world. I would say that, you know, our vision is only about three to 5% fully focused in front of us. But I always felt that my vision widened out and that the peripheral vision became just, it just became vision. And I think it helped me become a visual artist. It made me a more complete person and it just changed my personality. Well, I talked about Ibogaine to people over the years, but no one had heard of it. And so decades went by, I stopped mentioning it because people hadn't heard of it. And then about four years ago, I went to a psychedelic conference in Oakland and I met a lot of Ibogaine people. Not only had they heard of it, but they had taken it. And many of them were therapists 
using this particular molecule. Well, I met up with a clinician there, and we together ended up forming an entity where we were treating military veterans using ibogaine and another material called the toad. Now, this is a secretion from the skin of the Sonoran Desert toad from northern Mexico and southern Arizona. They jump all over in the right season on the roads, pick them up, you squeeze them, and they give forth a a viscous liquid that you dry. And then if you vaporize it, as opposed to smoking, it's got to be vaporized, and take a deep inhalation of that, it can actually, in 15 seconds, unzip this fabric we call reality, and you can step into something completely different. The effects are so uh, difficult to, to fully explain that we use words to approximate the effect. So why bother? It has two major elements for me. I've gotten deeply involved in therapeutic work with military veterans. These fellows and their wives are often sitting on the edge of the bed with a pistol in hand. And with the combination of Ibogaine and the toad or the synthetic version, 5-MeO DMT, we've given them lives that they never had. It's not that we gave them their lives back. Many of these veterans were troubled going into the military. They were the, the they were the bullies in school. They were the football heroes. And at 18, they went in and then they became hired, sanctioned killers. They saw their comrades blown up. They shot men, women, and children, and they come back and they're trying to go to their kid's soccer game. And the integration is almost impossible without help. Well, that's the therapeutic side, and I could go into that more deeply, but I'd rather talk about the transcendent side because that's sort of the other end of the spectrum where you take a, a healthy attitude, a, a good outlook on life, but that doesn't mean we don't have uh, issues ourselves, uh, whatever they might be. But unless you're organically impaired chemically, such as severely bipolar or you're schizophrenic, you want to stay away from all psychedelics in that case, in my opinion. If you've got everything from the blues to PTSD, there's a magic trick out there called 5-MeO or just 5, a magic trick provided us by the universe, allow you to deal with issues more efficiently and more quickly and more profoundly than any other way I know. And I'm really familiar with the landscape of psychedelics. You know, there's so many different categories of drugs. There's alcohol, uh, that's its own category. There's marijuana, which is its own. There's the hard drugs. And there are the pharmaceuticals. In a separate category altogether are psychedelics. And they include magic mushrooms, that's psilocybin, that includes LSD, ketamine, which is legal and done in clinics. And it includes Ibogaine and 5-MeO. Well, first of all, some people are still using the organic toad, and it's not to be recommended. It does have a different flavor, but really the alcohol content is the same. And I mean that metaphorically. It's hard on the toads, and it contains chemicals that aren't good for you that can race the heart and actually cause stroke in, in extreme situations. The lab made five is pure and can be titrated very carefully and can be used to take you from an ordinary state 
to what we call a non-dual state where you can't see the difference between yourself and the universe. You can become one entity. You can sit at the edge of a forest and talk to the trees and man, they talk back. And I don't mean that that you get a hallucination of them talking. This has very low visual. It comes with this broad landscape of wisdom that defies my ability to describe it. So I'll just have to tell you how big it is. I think just telling you a story about one voyager that I know who is a 55-year-old doctor. I know many people in the medical profession that have been voyagers. And I call them voyagers because it is a voyage. They're not patients. They're not clients. They're people that want to go and see what I call the truth. What is true? Well, we'll get into that. So this fellow, 55 years old, had never done any psychedelics ever, but he came to trust me and I allowed him to have a journey that the idea is you take a small inhalation of this in a vaporization pipe and it settles your body and you get used to it. And then you take a much deeper inhalation. This is in the first two minutes. He just sat back, closed his eyes, had a half smile. And I said, when you come back, don't worry about having to tell me where you've been. You can, but don't don't worry about trying to articulate things. So he came back. Within an hour, he got in his car and drove to work. It is the most efficient way to go where he went. I mean, it's incredible. He, not only did he drive to work, he probably drove better. He could probably fly a plane. He didn't even fly planes. But in any case, I ask people that I connect with other people to get back to me and tell me how they've done. And so... I talked to him after the weekend, and he said, wow, you won't believe what happened to me. He said, my mother has dementia, and every weekend I go see her, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. I've always loved my mother. She's just not there, and it's just the most horrible experience. I dread it all week, and I'm in tears coming home. He said, this time I went, and... I just held her hand and loved her. And he said it was one of the best experiences of my life. Just feeling pure love without articulation, without expectation. Wow. So I checked back with him in about three months and I said, how's it going? He said, well, as I'm walking in to see her, I'm noticing the flowers around the building, which I never saw. They're just, the colors are more vibrant. And I sit with her and it's the same experience each time. It's the highlight of my week. Well, that to me is pretty terrific. That's just one of the many rooms in this mansion. Yeah. Well said, Jameis, for that. I mean, appreciate the landscape, which is critically important here. I think that I will share this, and I have shared this on on an early, early episode of ATBS, that I've had a few experiences with 5-MEO, And, you know, the first one was a full release and guided and spectacular. And I know we'll get to this. Was it therapeutic? I believe so. I've shared this in conversation with many of my friends that I felt as though I was breathing infinity and being breathed by eternity. And somebody said to me a long time, quite a while ago, and said, well, 
what's your takeaway? What do you bring forth from the experience? And I said, I moved beyond any fear of death, which you have shared with me, and I, I know we'll get to that. So we are talking about potentially life-altering experience, and the landscape is really important. You know, psychedelics in general, and then what are we, what are we dealing with, and what are some of the benefits? And you know, some of the warnings, or you know, I've said to people many times because I know you read a tremendous amount about this, and I know you listen to a lot of podcasts, and I mean, you spend a lot of time in this realm. But you learn this isn't something that you just go out and do regularly, necessarily, and it isn't something that you necessarily do on your own or, or what have you. But I mean, a lot of ways to do it and a lot of places to figure out, you know, people to find out who to do it with. But I appreciate the background. I think it's a really, really helpful place for the uninitiated. And, and this is a, a weekly podcast for the curious and open-minded. And here we are, you know, talking about something that opened my mind, you know, completely. Well, let me tell you what the effects have been for me. I'm 71 years old. Until I was maybe 69, I've always been a showman. I've had a big platform. I'm in my area, fairly well known. I, for many years, run a legendary restaurant in Silicon Valley where a lot of stuff happened. And so I had exposure to hundreds of people a day. And I, I'm somewhat of a performer, but I always felt this creepy feeling that I wasn't quite the person that I was pretending to be. And, you know, at times it would be a bigger or a smaller issue, but now I'm exactly the person I want to be. I like to think I'm the best person I can be. And the effect for me has been just terrific. For instance, I used to be an atheist. Now I don't believe in anything. It's not that I, I'm a, a nihilist. I just, I have no belief system. I'm untethered. And that means that I can't disbelieve you. So you could come to me and tell me you're a Scientologist or a Zoroastrian or a Republican, and I just want to know your viewpoint. Another thing that disappeared for me, which was a huge issue, my biggest single issue was fear of death. For the last 20 years, it was top of the list. And now, not only is it not on the list, there is no list. I used to be a futurist. I was involved with the Long Now Foundation, the 10,000-year clock, and I thought a lot about the deep future. I also thought about my regrets of the past, things I wish I'd done differently. I wish I bought Tesla when it was just a tiny firm. I, I wished I'd never been a heavy drinker. I regretted those things. I forgave myself, but I also stopped looking at the future as a real thing. I don't think the future exists. No one's ever been there. And so... It allows you to anchor yourself in the present, which is also a bit of a myth. We don't really know where we are in time. We know that the light waves come to us and the sound waves come to us on delay. So we don't ever see anything firsthand. So how do we have what feels like a firsthand experience of everything? Well, if you are properly dosed in the right setting, you can in literally seconds, unzip what looks like reality and step into something completely different. And if you're lucky, most people I know are, you feel as if you can see everything at once. You can see all of time. You can see your, well, you can't see your position in it. You, I tell people, 
try to forget your own name. Go out there and just be. Don't try to articulate. Don't try to plan. Don't try to think. Just scrub your mind of all that and completely surrender. And if you're able to do that, and most people are, the effects last a long time, even though the actual experience can't go for much more than an hour. I have found that with many people, the goods keep unfolding. Uh, When I drive down the freeway, I am surrounded by cars, but I don't feel or see the cars. I feel the people. I just, I'm surrounded by thousands of people. I'm in a sea of humanity, each living their own lives. It allows you to absorb so much more detail. We have a group that you're in called the Pronoids. Pronoia is the least used, most fabulous word in English. As you know, it means those of us that believe the world's conspiring behind our backs to give us a good time. I'm pretty sure there's a person with a big birthday cake around the corner just about to walk into my room, and it's not even my birthday. Look at all the things that are going right, right now, from gravity to the color green to our friendship to our ability to communicate, grandchildren, leaves, the blue sky, and it sounds very Pollyanna-like. But you know what? Who doesn't want to live in that world? So that doesn't mean... Yeah, don't get a flat tire now and then, but really the the rest of the car is in pretty good shape. People will say, well, can you really change your attitude like that? Well, sometimes you need help, and this is help for many people. So I honestly think that, well, many of your listeners will hear about this here for the first time, and they'll go to the internet, and they'll start looking, and they'll see some practitioners that many of us don't hold in very high regard that have surfaced as the lead stories. So one has to source that out carefully. But I can tell you, when people ask me what the downsides are, doctors ask me this, doctor, just last week, I said, frankly, I don't see one. I don't use it anymore myself. I've graduated. It's not addictive. It doesn't appear to be harmful. There's no hangover. It is not legal. Well, three, four years ago, that was a big concern for a lot of people. But there have been other issues that have popped up that seem to be of more concern, like somebody's crowd size at the inauguration to take the focus off. And in fact, we're working with somebody in the Trump administration who's a big advocate for our military program, whose name I can't use because it hurts his reputation. But I believe we'll be going mainstream with a lot of these things. We saw in Oregon, they legalized psilocybin recently, and they decriminalized other drugs. The wave is upon us. How we handle it is the big question. Well, LSD was legal in the 50s and 60s, and it was used widely in therapy. Then it was made illegal, and then the underground basically controlled distribution of LSD. Now, over the last 50, 60 years, Many more people have benefited from it than have not. So in a completely uncontrolled way, uh, it organically surfaced. And the amazing thing is, you want to hear something amazing? (laughs) LSD, (laughs) back in 1970, cost $10 a hit. Today, it costs $10 a hit. A lot of people think of it as a sacrament. Now, I think LSD is a very 
you know, challenging and difficult. I, I find mushrooms that way. I don't, I don't take anything, but five is in a category by itself. I go back to my own experience and, and, uh, you know, I've had some along the way with, with some of the other psychedelics that you referenced. And I overheard this actually in a conversation that took place in your living room some time ago. And there was a group, a wonderful group of people that gathered. And I think of that particular weekend fondly and regularly, but there was a practitioner there and somebody asked, you know, kind of how do you categorize? I, I can't remember the exact question, but the answer was, if all the other psychedelic drugs or plant medicines or what have you show you a pathway, five shows you the destination. <laughs> and it has stuck with me. You know, I had the experience myself, which was oh, wow. And you mentioned this yesterday, you know, it, it screws some people's meditation practice up because they're like, I've been working at this for years and I get a glimpse now and again. I like to say that, you know, meditators after I was sitting cross-legged for a week often feel as if they're touching the hem of some universal garment. But with five, you can actually put the robe on yourself and off into the universe. So it's so quick, it can be very jarring. It can be jarring, but typically not upsetting. I am associated with a group that collectively we know of or have been facilitators of at least 2,000 experiences. None of us have reported a substantially negative outcome. But the worst one I've seen was me the first time, where my guide didn't instruct me I believe, on one of the basics, there's really only three things to know about how to do this. And one is to say yes, to commit to do it. The second is you've got to be able to completely surrender. And that is easy for some people to understand. And well, if you've done it, you know it, and it's easy. If you've never done it, if you're holding on to your belief system, your religion, your ideas about how to raise children, to train your dog or where to park or all those things you believe in. Here you go. You've got to just suspend that just for a second so you can get in. And then the third thing is just to breathe. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be practiced. It was so funny. Timothy Leary was walking across the Harvard campus in the early 60s with a really famous physicist. And Timothy Leary was saying, have you ever tried LSD? And this guy says, well, no, I really don't believe in shortcuts. And they came up to the curb and he said, oh, I've got to go to the other side of town. And he waved down a taxi and took off. And Leary just laughed. It's like, well, you could have walked, but you know, so is this a shortcut? Yeah, it's a shortcut. And aren't shortcuts great? Shoes are shortcuts. Airplanes are shortcuts cars. Having lunch is a shortcut. You know, everything we do that isn't just us running around in the jungle naked is a shortcut. I think one wants to use the most efficient means possible to become one's best self. Yeah, agreed. And we live in this world where, you know, here we are recording our conversation that will be shared via a medium that, you know, however long ago didn't really exist. Being able to share information in a conversation, it's what I love about this is we can just wander and explore conversationally, and then we get to put it out there and share it with people. And then they do with it what they choose. 
I haven't said this actually in a while, but you know, one of my intentions with putting this together during the course of an episode, some switch flips and they think, you know, I'd like to know more about that. Or I've thought about that, but didn't know those things. And in this case, we'll put some resources, you know, places, um, psychedelic societies and different things like that. So people can go and explore on their own. But I've thought if we just turn somebody on a little bit, plant a seed, somebody gets a hold of it, as listeners do with it what you will. Jameis and I are not suggesting anything other than, oh, you could get in a cab and go across town. Well, here's the thing. I've talked because I had the restaurant. I know a lot of people. I've given the sermon over a thousand times and almost nobody has followed me into this world. And these are smart, interesting, interested people. And I was so amazed that I couldn't turn at least half the crowd. Well, why? And they tell me, well, I could either seek enlightenment or finish my book, or I don't want to change my personality, or I'm against drugs. And so, okay, fine. If you don't feel like it, you shouldn't do it because you couldn't surrender to it. Right. But those people that are curious, they're going to go, well, how do I find my way into this world? Well, most people live in metropolitan areas, and most metropolitan areas have psychedelic societies, especially in the Bay Area. And they have regular meetings. Right now, of course, it's more difficult. You've got to go out and meet people. You've got to be very frank and say, I've heard about five. Where's it going on? You'll find that people are proselytizing this, that they want you to know about it. And it's not a private club. It's not the Bohemian Club. It's a little like LSD at Burning Man. People just pass it out. This is rare. It's hard to get. It's not anything you can fake. And it's also not to be confused with DMT. It's taken the same way in a vape pipe. Now, there's 5-MeO-DMT and there's NN-DMT. Now, the 5-MeO originally was discovered with a snoring desert frog. And the interesting thing about that is it only goes back to the 1980s. The guy that figured this out is still around. Even though Alexander Shulgin, the great psychedelic chemist, did synthesize this much earlier, they never really used it much, and it really didn't escape his lab. But once the toad was discovered, it was a little more widely used. Some people online will say, oh, it's got this great prehistory because there's pictures of toads and Mayan carvings. Well, there's pictures of jaguars too, but I don't think people were smoking jaguars. So <laughs> it doesn't have a, a deep shamanistic history. And as a result, most of the practitioners don't bring that sort of spiritual and religious bent to it. Now, if people want to use crystals and incense and incantation, that can be very sweet. Most of the practitioners I know are treating this it's a journey more like athleticism than spirituality. It doesn't come with an ism, uh, something that I believe in, a catechism. So that's why I say I approach this completely non-spiritually. I consider myself to not have a spiritual bone in my body. I don't know what that word means exactly. I don't use the word consciousness because that's too broad. It doesn't mean I don't have predilections, but I have things I want to do and things I like and things I don't like, but I don't believe in up and down and hot and cold and good and evil. These are just all gradations that have no relevance in this particular practice. Well, and in some ways, really refreshing. You can use something like the practice of yoga 
When you think about yoga, there can be this barrier to entry, right? Like I don't want to walk into a studio and they're going to be these people that are twisting up in pretzels and they're going to look at me and think, I don't know what I'm doing. And could be the same thing if you were to walk into a church. It could be the same thing if you start to learn Qigong or when you start to meditate. I mean, I've talked to so many people who are like, I don't really know where to start. On many of these other fronts, there are barriers and they might be self-imposed. We have that barrier too. And it's broken through by just saying the word yes. Yes. And then you're in the club. And it's really simple as that. You don't need any other credentials besides your desire to give this a chance to trust the person who's telling you about this. Just the word yes. There's no special clothing to go to the infinite because you're not taking easy. You're not going to be able to carry it. There are so many places to go here. Many people in their experience, they'll weep uncontrollably. They'll laugh uncontrollably. They'll yell the word yes, or they'll be totally quiet. And those people, the military people I've dealt with, they'll channel the devil, they'll channel God, they'll do all sorts of things. But most people just sit there quietly. But some people moan, growl. The thing is, with the organic toad, often people get overdosed and they can't remember what happened. They get many benefits later, but they can't remember much. With our more refined techniques, we want to keep you with the experience so you can remember where you went and you can reactivate really pretty much at will. I use a soundtrack. I use classical music and even opera because when you look at the forest and you put this music on, you go back to that spot. You can really turn it on and off in your head just with practice. So I have to go back a little to something we were talking about where you said there's no special clothing or there's just yes. And I've shared this story. In fact, I shared it with a guy that I was talking to on the street yesterday afternoon. He was working on his camper van. I stopped and talked to him and and we got into this deeper conversation about the podcast and various things. And he's a heart attack survivor and I'm a cancer survivor. And so we had a bunch of stuff in common. And the story that I share is this. I read Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind, you know, a bunch of years ago. And then another friend of ours, yours and mine, who is certainly a part of the Pronoids, she and I had gotten to know each other and we stayed in touch and we shared the fact when we met that we were reading the same book. And over the course of time, she ended up being introduced to five and a guide, a practitioner. And I said, well, please you know, keep me posted on that. And she did. And then. I was on a road trip, Southern California for a Qigong retreat, and then up through Central California, and then into Northern California. And prior to my departure, I was introduced to the practitioner, the guide, and we set an appointment. I showed up in Northern California in the Bay Area to spend the night with my friend. And she said, there's a little gathering in town at a friend's restaurant. In the Uber we get, and we go into town, and we walk into friend's restaurant and it's one of your son's restaurants and one of the first people that she introduced me to was you really within just a couple of minutes it came up that i was going to have the opportunity to be introduced to five the following day and you got this look on your face that you know a gleam in your eye and you showed me your ring first of all and you had this aura about you which was oh 
lucky you, you know, good for you, Jeff. Then you said, if I can give you one piece of advice, and this may not be appropriate, you know, may not be actually where you are today in your thinking, but you said, do more. And I said, well, what does that mean? And you said, well, just ask your guide, which I did. And, you know, I had a full release, full out there surfing, the zero point field, the Akashic record, the, you know, whatever, touching the infinite, cruising source energy. And it was beautiful. But my introduction to you was that. It was really beautiful and since then, we've had other experiences together, and I'm grateful for all of them and can't wait to see you in person again. But that was my initial, oh, hey, this is Jameis. And I thought, wow, all right, my friend. <laughs> I love the way you're thinking. And it was completely accurate. I was not misled. Well, that's great. You know, it's interesting from my perspective as a non-religious person, you can go see the eye of God. I used to think that the Double talk from the Zen masters was pretty confusing and probably just a trick where they'd say everything is nothing and nothing is everything. And the Dalai Lama was waving his arms around and I didn't get any of that. And now it just seems all so lovely. I've until recently traveled the world and go to a lot of religious events, whether it be in Medina in Saudi Arabia or in Georgia or Africa and I go into these churches and chapels and institutions, and I just feel these people pouring their love out in a sanctuary, a place where they can get away from their somewhat harsh lives sometimes. That pure feeling, I don't understand the language, but I sure sense the feeling. Tapping into that more deeply is what we're allowed to do with this magic trick. That's why I hope as many people as possible can further explore this. And I am continually amazed at the people that pull back and don't want to do it, even experienced people. But we see the world changing so quickly. Ayahuasca, nobody knew about ayahuasca five years ago, but a very small number. And now there's ayahuasca churches in the United States, and people talk about ayahuasca pretty commonly. They don't talk about five as much, and certainly very few people talk about Ibogaine. Ibogaine is to be approached very cautiously, not recreational in any way. This I don't consider it recreational either. Now, one final thing, DMT, the NNDMT is chemically associated with ayahuasca. It comes with tremendous visuals, but I think very little wisdom. Other people... Dennis McKenna will say, oh, no, it's all about the wisdom, but I- I've not seen that. The visuals can be exciting, they can be troubling, but to me, they're not very instructive for the soul. So in any case, that's why we try to drop the DMT off the 5-MeO-DMT signature, chemical signature. You know, as soon as people hear that, and especially at the end of the, the string, right, 5-MeO-DMT, and people go, oh, yeah, DMT, got it. And it is so different. And you've done a wonderful job of framing it and explaining it, sharing your experience. And, you know, I'm grateful for all of it. I think that in the world in which we live today, and this is really just reiterating something you've said twice, that, boy, wouldn't we all be a bit better off if we were willing to sit and listen? And this goes to what I'm trying to accomplish here on the podcast, which is, can we have informative conversation 
and do so in a non-judgmental, non-dogmatic way. What I'm talking about on any given episode is not the way, and you don't need to follow anything that I say, but let's open some doors. Let's share information and then people can choose to do with it what they will. But wouldn't it be nice if people were willing to engage in dialogue, especially in the world in this country that we're living in, in such a divisive, certainly from a political perspective, it's so divisive, so divided. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to sit down and with people and just have open dialogue with the intent to understand? Well, it's interesting. Before my adventures with Five, I used to think that the world was composed of about 30% asshole. After, everyone seemed to clean up his act. And now I don't see anybody that way. Even the president, who I disagree with vehemently, I feel empathy and pity for him. He's just a person in pain. And when I see people vehemently screaming in the streets with a position I don't hold, I see them as when they're screaming angrily, they've got conflict. And can we reduce that? Well, you know, we're hearing actually from people on the right that, well, you know, even Bonner from the Congress, he's in the marijuana business now. That's that's a change. To have life imprisonment for over a pound of marijuana in Texas, life imprisonment. So things are changing rapidly. And those people that want to get involved can find places to go. It's all around and you just have to go look. Still, it can be a challenge with these times of finding an access point. But if one is diligent, like I did when I went to the psychedelic conference, one can find one's way in. Well, and, and if we're not afraid to talk about it, first and foremost, I was walking up the street, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, there was a couple walking by and we got to talking and Again, somehow we, we you know, oh, well, what do you do? Well, I have a podcast and, oh, what do you cover? And I cover a lot of different things. But part of it is this journey that I've been on. It's in no small part why there is a podcast. And we start talking about psychedelics and we started talking about five. And they both looked at me and said, oh, my gosh, you've done it too? <laughs> These are people walking down the street. Yeah. Right? And this is an example of it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. And you're not afraid to talk about it. And we're not afraid to share information. So first and foremost, for listeners who are curious, look for your local psychedelic society. But, you know, don't be afraid to ask and communicate. And have you heard? And, and are you familiar? And a lot of the stigma is, you know, kind of crumbling. And we have the ability to help crumble it by being willing to have dialogue and not be fearful that just by talking about something, you know, somebody's going to be judging us. Right. And a great source of information, he's got a couple hundred podcasts, about only five, is Martin Ball's The uh, Entheogenic Evolution. You could pick through and get the whole education there. He used to have an annual conference in Ashland, which is on hiatus. But yeah, one can find one's way in. Yeah. And they're wonderful books, right? Fabulous books. James Oroch's book. Tryptamine Palace. The Tryptamine Palace, exactly. That was the first one I read. Wow. That really lays it out. Yeah. And Andrew Weil, the, he and uh, Wade Davis from National Geographic published the first paper on this back in the 80s, and they're still active. Here's another change in my thinking. I used to think Andrew Weil, because he's sort of a mystical guy, and 
a bit of a goof and it's like, ah, oh, I don't have any time for him or Deepak Chopra or all that. But then I realized, what do I really know? I don't know anything. And then I heard them talk and I thought, eh, lovely guys. I don't think maybe scientifically everything they say adds up. So much else adds up that it certainly makes it worth my time. There's almost nobody that isn't worth my time. I mean, it's <laughs> people are great. I, just, I wish I could talk to all those people on the freeway. So I talked to plenty and I talked to you and I'm really grateful for you and, and the people we know in common and the people we have yet to meet. I'm now primarily in the grandchild business, which is another whole realm with the dogs. And I'm staring out my window at the fall colors. It's a pretty wonderful world. We so often see the muck surfaces to the top, but the pool is very deep of pure crystal water. And we can become part of that pool. With five, you realize, oh, I'm a drop, and then I'm the ocean. I'm the drop again, and then I'm the ocean. And then you realize, oh, that's why I can't die. I can change form. I personally don't believe in reincarnation, but I do believe in recycling. And it goes on and on. You, you realize that you and I here right now are the pinnacle of creation. Four and a half billion years of life, and it's you and me here right now. The universe, if this universe is 14 billion years old, we're also the pinnacle of that. And one thing you really see with five is you are the center of the universe. Is that, is that egotistical? Well, actually, cosmologically, mathematically, it's a fact. Everybody is the center of the universe. Metaphor is the planet is a sphere. And if you stand on that sphere, where's the middle? Well, it's wherever you say it is, and it's it might as well be you. Right. If the universe is shaped like that too, it's not a sphere per se. It has no shape that prevents it from you being the center. Are you also tiny and insignificant? Well, actually, no. You know what? You're indispensable. The universe cannot function without you because here you are. You're part of it. You can't take a little part of the universe out. Can't be done. You're indispensable. So to internalize that deep, wherever you hold those things most sacred, it's funny I use these words, right? You can see this with five. Doctor asked me, what are the downsides? I don't see any, honestly. I don't see any. Beautiful. All of that is so well said, Jameis. There's not anything really for me to add to it except... I too am grateful for, you know, our friendship, the friends that we share and the friends that we've not yet met, being able to do this and being able to do this with you and have this conversation. There's no one else I would rather be having this conversation on this subject with than you, Jameis. So thank you so much. I'm honored to be aboard and I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's none more provocative and important than yours, in my opinion. You're very kind, and I appreciate that. And we will continue to do good work and share information. And, you know, one of the things I struggled with last week was the first time I did it, where in the episode, I actually said to people, if you like what you're hearing and you think we're doing good work, tell somebody about it, tell a friend and share it electronically through social media or what have you. And and then there are those who choose to be patrons. And Are you on Patreon? I am indeed, yes. Good. And we'd find Patreon by just looking up the name of your podcast. Yeah. ATBSThePodcast.com. And there's a patron Patreon link right on the page. And 
you know, it's a great way to support what we're doing here. And you said it yesterday when we were having our precast conversation, it's not easy, right? It takes time and, and effort and, and money and, but it's so worth doing. And so anybody, any way anybody wants to support is, is I'm, I'm a grateful recipient. I'd like to also plug my magazine. Please do. I write a weekly online magazine called Pacific Voyages, pacificvoyages.net. And it's my romp across the Pacific now. I've got maybe 40 stories. My motto is travel to places you'll never go. It is a lot of fun for me. It makes me package up my creativity once a week, literally. There's a lot of videos and stills of just extraordinary events and places. It's just so much fun. And you're doing a beautiful job of that. Pacificvoyages.net, correct? You're right. I encourage people to come and find you there as well. Thanks. Awesome. Well, Jameis, I look forward to our next embrace and uh, look forward to seeing you on your hill in, in a wonderful part of the world sooner rather than later, my good friend. I will see that big, handsome head of yours coming up the driveway. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Jameis. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to ATBS, the podcast, and this episode with Jameis McNiven. I encourage you to check out Jameis's weekly multimedia magazine called Pacific Voyages, and you can find that at pacificvoyages.net. Remember, be curious and open your mind. Thanks for listening. <laughs>